And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post Podcast on Valentine's Day, my least favorite holiday in the world. And you know you have a good wife when she is more aggressively anti-Valentine's Day than you. So I got nothing for nobody on this Valentine's Day. We are five days out from one of the wildest trade deadlines in the history of the league. And this is one of my favorite times of the year because now it's just basketball. We get to see how all the new puzzle pieces fit together. These first games where Luca and Kyrie play together. We haven't seen Durant yet, obviously. You get your first impressions of how this all works. Also, the buyout guys are starting to find homes, so we have a better sense of that landscape. Justin Holiday, Terrence Ross, other Danny Green. Um, and it just feels good to get distance from the wildness. Your brain works better with a little distance from the wildness. And for the first time in way too long to help us understand this new landscape of the NBA from Sports Illustrated, the author of Blood in the Garden, a best-selling book about the 90s Knicks, a team I just hated growing up. Chris Herring, how are you, sir? I'm really good, Zach. It's really good to be back on with you. Thank you for having me. Is it, though? Is it good? Is it that good? It is, man. It is. We we, we connect offline, and you know, it's been, like you said, it's been a minute. I, I feel like I've been busy in a lot of... First of all, you were going in about Valentine's Day. I don't... You, you've been married long enough to have that stance openly have that stance i just got engaged so i don't i don't think that i can have quite as hard line a stance on that one uh so i, I got plenty of flowers uh valentine's gifts because i don't want to uh i don't want to lose what i just gained um uh, a month and a half ago so i'm i'm, I'm going to take the opposite side from you <laughs> congratulations um congratulations I appreciate and enjoy that, that uh before we start with the sort of biggest most interesting things to us about the second half is the sec- the last third of the season I haven't talked to you now that the dust is settled and I re- I read your initial reaction to it. What is your take on the Phoenix Suns trading four unprotected first round picks, one swap, Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson, and probably something I'm forgetting, and Jay Crowder to the Nets for Kevin Durant and TJ Warren for, from a purely Suns perspective. I don't want to talk anymore about the Nets. Sure. I, I think my thing, and I've always kind of felt this way, is I think teams that make deals earlier are smarter. Um, I think the earlier you make moves, the earlier you kind of get a chance to settle in. I think deals during the offseason, deals that happen sometimes like a month before the trade deadline, just why wouldn't you want to take advantage of things a little bit sooner? So I think from the Suns' perspective, obviously the the, the ground is shifted underneath them with, with the uh, ownership situation and everything else. Um, so there's all that. But I say all that to say that getting Kevin Durant is a good thing for where they are team-wise. The window probably would be closing a little bit if you kept Chris Paul as your point guard. Uh, So I think this is a good move for them. Like, you're not going to argue about the idea of getting Kevin Durant. I love Mikhail Bridges more than just about anybody, but I think that uh, from the outside looking in, you are probably always going to have to move him to get someone like Durant unless a team like the Nets wanted um, DeAndre Ayton. And and we even saw during the summer that wasn't going to be possible given his contract situation at a certain point. So I I think it's a great move for them. I think now we're in a situation where, uh, you know, they have to make a run at a title there. I'm going to have questions about them. I'm going to have questions about their defense. I'm going to have questions about um, their, their health. I don't think that you can help but have that question 
um, but they're going to be able to score. I have other questions that we'll get into as we talk about kind of storylines or things that we're really watching in the in the last third of the season that I certainly have questions about with them. Um, but does it make them like the clear favorite? I wouldn't say they're clearly the favorite, but I do think that they're right there in that conversation. And after a, a game seven shellacking at home last year, um, after them not quite having enough to finish the finals the year before that, uh, this is the best you could ask for is to put yourself back firmly in that conversation. Um, you want to have someone like Kevin Durant there to kind of help with some of the things that went wrong last year. So I, I think it's a great move for them. And I think that you, you know, you hate losing Mikhail Bridges, but you kind of had to do it in my opinion. I don't like losing Cam Johnson either. He's good too. Um, I, yeah, I don't think they're absolutely. I don't think they're the clear favorites overall. In fact, I'm not sure that they're even the favorites overall with Boston and Milwaukee just keep steamrolling people right now. Um, I do think five days out now, having sifted through the rubble, I do think they're probably the slight favorites in the West. I, I, I think I would probably take them over Denver in a seven game series in these other teams with people getting injured. Zion's out for longer. Steph's out again. Yeah. The Clippers, we'll see what, what they get with Plumlee and Eric Gordon. Um, I, I just think with all these teams kind of scuffling around, I, I think the Nuggets are the one team you have to look at first, and I think I would pick them over the Nuggets. Here's where I come down on it. I think these mortgaging the future trades to this degree are generally riskier um, and the downside more likely to hit than people think in the exuberance of, oh my God, we got this guy. And the history of these trades is that the downside is more likely to hit than you are to win a championship. And this is a championship or bust trade. You have to win the title when you make a move like this. That doesn't, that said, when you have Chris Paul at 37 years old, you have you, and you're not good enough. I, I and I don't think they were good enough. I think they knew, despite the fact that they were playing well. I think they were nine and two coming into That's the trade the deadline. Point. They, they mm -hmm. weren't. They weren't going to be good enough to win four playoff series, the, particularly the way Chris has been so up and down this year. By the way, as you would expect at age 37, with a gazillion exactly. miles and injuries on him, you have three choices. Number one, trade Chris Paul, and just sort of retool, take a step back to take two steps forward. They didn't want to do that. Maybe they did. Maybe they did. I don't know. They didn't do that. Number there was reporting that they were open to that, that they were at least looking into it, right? You know, Before that, the, that, that whole thing. We'll see. We'll see what happens with Kyrie okay. in the summer. Like, that just doesn't. Can't do it now. <laughs> can no. you? I don't think you can do that now. So let's just let's just move it on. Um, the second option is, you know, they had this deal that they were working. It was a three-team deal reportedly with the Pistons and the Hawks, which I, I the reporting is accurate. That would have gotten them John Collins. And that's the middle, that's the middle way. Would have gotten them John Collins without trading anything from their rotation. That's the middle way we're like, okay, we're we're really good. Let's get one more guy and try to and try to really elevate ourselves into we can win three or four playoff series. They decided that that team, the middle way team, just wasn't going to be good enough. And I honestly can't fault that decision. And so that leaves you with option three, which is go all in for Durant. And even as I say that the downside of these trades, the, the let's just call it the 2013 Brooklyn Nets downside, is more likely to hit than you are to win the title. Even as I say that, and even as that downside is more painful than all the other downsides that are possible. The reality is all three of those paths, the trade Chris Paul path, 
the keep all our assets and make a small upgrade path. And then we have all our optionality and flexibility going forward. That path and this current path, they're all unlikely to lead to a championship. Right. No path is likely to lead to a championship. And so I, I, I respect taking the highest reward, highest risk route of those three because, yeah, it sounds cool to be like, we got all our assets and you, we got all our picks. We could still pivot going forward. And maybe that path is safer. The down, the, the, the cushion at the bottom, if it falls out, is probably a little higher. But I'm not, uh, this, this path, you are now the favorites to me in the Western Conference. And you have Kevin Durant. The, the, the caveat here is going to be, the question here is going to be health. Because this is a team where sometimes guys get hurt and you're like, well, shit. James Harden pulled his hamstring. Kyrie landed on somebody's ankle or landed on somebody's foot. This is like Chris Paul's hurt in the playoffs every year already. Kevin Durant hasn't played more than 55 games in four years. He's hurt now. He's had the same knee injury three times, I think. Like if one of those guys gets hurt in the playoffs, no matter how it happens almost, the Suns are not going to be able to say, oh my God, who could have, who could have predicted this? Who could have seen this coming? But that that's, and I do I do think their depth is gonna be is gonna be good enough. Their bench has been like rugged and tough all year. T, you add TJ Warren to it. Tory Craig, who's starting, has been good. But like Damian Lee's been good. Campaigns coming back shortly after the All Star break. Their backup centers have been good. Josh Okogie's been like outrageously good for them. Ish Wainwright's yep. hitting shots. They just got Terrence Ross. I think they're gonna have enough. So that's my that's my uh, and and by the way, the underrated part of this, you mentioned him. DeAndre Ayton is not some throwaway player. I don't. How do you feel? Where are you on the Ayton discourse? Well, I'll say this, and, and maybe it transitions us into uh, kind of the larger conversation we're going to have on this pod. Uh, I didn't say him by name, but that's exactly who I was talking about. I think is is the idea of. I I think he's one of the most interesting players in the league right now, given this trade. I think that. Uh, there's a couple ways of parsing it. You can look at him as, wow, this is a, a hell of a guy to have as a third, a fourth option offensively. Um, certainly, you know, one of the better big men in the league, a guy that has gotten to spread his wings a little bit offensively. And, and just like Mikhail Bridges kind of saw his efficiency taper off a little bit because of it with all the injuries. Um, how involved is he in, in this offense at this point? Um, it kind of puts a little bit of... Um, even more on the shoulders of Chris Paul to kind of make sure that everybody can stay happy of, of the guys we're talking about. Durant is going to get his opportunities. Devin Booker is going to get his opportunities. Chris Paul probably doesn't mind as much if he's not shooting as much because those guys are getting shots. Aiton strikes me as the guy that kind of cares about that, that would care about that. Maybe I'm, I'm just off base with that. Uh, maybe it doesn't matter as much when you're winning at a high level, which is some of what we've seen in the last couple of years. Uh, you know, just between the kind of, if you want to call it a standoff with him and Monty Williams, maybe that's too strong of a word. Uh, he just kind of strikes me as a guy that it, it could come into play. It could matter. Do you get the exact same effort from him defensively if he's not as heavily involved offensively, which is would be understandable if he's not, given who they're going to have on this team. So he's someone that I could see thriving and just getting better looks because of the inability to really go and help on him in the post. But I also really, really wonder um, whether how, what's his level of involvement going to be offensively uh, with, with this new look offense that they're going to have. I think the Aiton discourse has taken a turn too far toward the what he isn't discussion, what he doesn't do. 
And for sure, there has been some well-documented frostiness between DeAndre Ayton and Monty Williams and DeAndre Ayton and other important people within the Phoenix Suns. Like, it's not just Monty Williams. When DeAndre Ayton catches the ball in traffic, spins away from contact, and misses a jump hook, you can sometimes see the other players be like, dude, again, can you just go up strong and get fouled? Like, please, you average three free throws a game. You're seven feet tall and you're giant. Can you get to the line a little more than that? Um, All of that said... I think it's a huge deal that he's still on the team. And obviously you're not going to trade him and Bridges and Johnson. So somebody is going to be on the team. This dude is 24 years old. He's averaging 19 and 10. There aren't very many big men. We might be able to count them on one hand. There aren't many seven footers who can chase ball handlers at the, at the arc on the pick and roll who are comfortable getting in a stance, moving their feet. The puppies, like Perk says, we would have puppies and, <laughs> and protect the rim and, deal with Nikola Jokic in the post well enough that it's not a five-alarm fire every time he touches the ball. And he proved he already did that in the playoffs. And I look, I don't know all the details of why there's been tension between Aiton and and other people within the Suns. I would hope that the possibility of winning the whole thing and a deep playoff run, just everybody organically starts rowing in the same direction and supporting each other and, and patting each other on the back. He's 24. The fact that he and Booker are are in their mid-20s gives them some protection, even if things go right, on the back end of those draft picks. And, to, like, I don't really care what his role is. He might care what his role is. That's my thing. That's all I'm saying he, is that he might care. If he cares. If he cares and it's not him getting as many looks as he'd like, you just wonder how that plays Look, out. Dude, I, I'm, I'm just not me saying that I think that he's going to. It's me saying I don't know. I, I would hope that he doesn't for the sake of like you probably have become the, the favorite out of the West, which given where they were, that should be all that matters. Look, I would think. I would hope. So here's my message to DeAndre Ayton. These three other dudes, one's an MVP, one of the 12 to 15 greatest players of all time at worst. One is the point god. The other guy was on the MVP ballot last year. We're not throwing the ball to you in the post, man. Like, it's just not going to happen. If we do, it's probably because you have a switch. And you better fucking punish the switch. I don't want to see these fadeaway jumpers over guards. Like, do something productive with the switch. Number two, you're averaging 19 a game in the NBA, the National Basketball Association. That's pretty freaking good. You set screens for those three dudes. This is the greatest collection of pick and roll ball handling on one team, I think, in the history of the NBA. I think if we went back and, and looked at every team, we're in the spread pick and roll era now, obviously. I don't think there's ever been this much pick and roll ball handling on any team. You are going to walk in to 18 points a game. Just You're going to screen. You're going to move toward the rim. The ball's going to be in your hand. And be like, oh, my God, I can just dunk? Like, you're going to walk into 18, which means on some nights you're going to walk into 25. Just be happy. Do your job. You have a max contract. End of DeAndre Ayton discussion. Um, it, you were at the first game Luka and Kyrie played together. Um, they are now 0-2 as teammates. Two high-scoring losses, one to the Kings and one last night to the Minnesota Timberwolves with Anthony Edwards and Jaden McDaniels like freaking Venus wow. fly traps at the end of the game. Wow. Enveloping yeah. Kyrie and Luca as they played hot potato with the ball that came after Kyrie had an absolutely outrageous fourth quarter scoring explosion of 20 something points. Initial impressions of the partnership. Yeah, man. I mean, it, <laughs> uh, even before they partnered up, man, th those first quarters with Kyrie 
without Luca playing were, were 40 point quarters too. And I, I saw a couple of those. Um, I mean, I'll put it this way. They can score. And I don't know that that was ever going to be a question, but I want to caution people that are looking at what's happening with them and the O2, the O and two start saying, Oh, see they're you know, it's not going to work. Uh, their lineups with those two have been like unstoppable offensively. Uh, and have outscored opponents, it's kind of been the bench stuff that has gotten them in trouble. And, you know, and obviously they're not anywhere near full strength. Hardaway got hurt during the game that I was at in Sacramento the other night. Um, they, they've got plenty of healing to do. And, and once they do that, I think it might be a different issue. But um, they they won't shoot this hot forever. You're not going to have 26-point quarters from Kyrie every night. Uh which, by the way, in that franchise's history, I think Dirk had one quarter that was 29 that maybe he had. And then I think they said that Luca had a 28-point quarter at one point. So Kyrie, within his first couple games, is already, you know, making close to records for, for the, the map. So it's, I mean, it, it's going to be a force to be reckoned with to try to stop them on offense, particularly once they have everybody back in the mix. Um their their bench stuff is what they have to figure out. So I, I've been really really impressed. I I'm still a little bit concerned about their defense when all is said and done. Aside from even just their bench, I think that you know teams good offenses, good teams are going to be able to take advantage. I think of Luca and Kyrie being out there at the same time. But the the flip side of it is just as true. How do you stop two guys like that? The open shots that they're going to get. I think really when we watched that possession last night. That the, as you said, the Timberwolves just shut down. It was one of the most impressive defensive possessions I've seen with just two people in a while. Um, those two still need to learn how to play off each other. I think they probably will. Um, in that instance, it looked like they were just standing too close to each other um, and and really kind of doing the Timberwolves, as, as good as that defensive possession was, doing them a favor by not spreading the floor a little bit more, probably trying to, to have a two-man game, but just being too close together. And uh so, but I'm, I'm, I'm really intrigued by what I've seen the first few games. I don't know how you couldn't be in light of just how dominant they've been offensively. Yeah. More Tim Hardaway Jr. And more Maxi Kleba when he comes back will mean less Theo Pinson and less Jaden Hardy. And that's probably good for the Mavericks. So Jaden Hardy has had his moments there's, this year. Yeah, there's been a lot of Jaden Hardy, but, it, but I do enjoy watching him when he's on fire. Um, yeah. I mean, the West is just loaded, man. I know they're 0-2. They lost both these games. Offensively, they're just you're not going to stop them. Like You're just going to hope they have a bad shooting night and you score like gangbusters on them, and they've been a bad defensive team all year after being a good one last year. And, and like you said, they've barely scratched the surface of playing together. They're not really playing together in a cooperative sense. Just them being out there together is obviously enormously powerful on its own. I looked it up on Second Spectrum this morning. They've only won, run three pick and rolls between them total in two games. Wow. And I think – and one of them, Luka got a switch and barreled over Terrence Davis for an and one. And and I think that play has to become a powerful tool in their toolbox against the best teams who are going to take away lots of the stuff. Now, those teams will put wing defenders on both of them so you can switch it, but switching is easier said than done on Luka. He's so powerful. And we've seen things like Kyrie's in the corner a lot when Luka has the ball up top. They ran a couple sets last night where Kyrie will come off a, a screen, like fly up from the corner, catch the ball coming off a screen on the wing, curl into the middle, draw the defense, kick to Luka for a spot up three or a drive. Like we're going to see more of that 
And I, I just think offensively it's going to be and, – and you've seen Kyrie already get them moving, which is what I was most excited about is like you don't have to walk the ball up the floor every single time. And Kyrie likes to throw hit-ahead passes, likes to get zooming up the floor and just sort of see what happens, see what chaos I can cause, see how many people follow me into the paint and who's, who's open in my wake. Like I think offensively they're going to be unstoppable. Their issues are going to be defense. They miss Finney Smith a lot. There's just a lot on Josh Green and Reggie Bullock's yeah. plate right now, and depth and and just. But those are those are high class problems. And their other high class problem is that the West is awesome. The top of the West is awesome, and some teams that really have title ambitions are going to lose in the first round. Yeah, I mean it. You know, th- th- there's one other team I think probably on, on my list of stuff I want to talk about that. Um, you know the the depth is an issue. You obviously, if you if you've got the sorts of problems that Dallas has at this point, they're privileged sorts of problems that you are banking on the idea that your starters are going to be playing forty minutes during the playoffs anyway. Um, and again, if if we're talking about the sort of efficiency that they've had so far with these two on the court, which it, it won't always be that, it'll come down at some point, I think. Um, you know, you you would live with those issues I, and hope that these guys can just play 42 minutes in a play. I, I think Kyrie and Luca together, those lineups should score at a rate that would lead the, the league among all teams. Like that's how good the Absolutely. offense should be. It should be a it should be as good as the best offense in the league and maybe better. It's everything else that will be a question. Okay, yeah. So the 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 the, the gimmick for this podcast was let's pick are five, I just made it up, five most interesting players or teams for the last part of the season with sort of an eye on they all got more interesting in the wake of the trade deadline because their teams did X, Y, and Z. So I will cede the floor to you, Chris Herring. We already talked about DeAndre Ayton. So pick somebody else or some other team off your list and let's go. Yeah, okay. Well, why don't we start here since it's kind of um, it's analogous. We just mentioned his name in the last segment. Uh, Josh Green. Is, is a guy and I, and I have one other guy that I think is a lot like Josh Green or maybe not a lot like him but has some similarities to it Ooh, so I don't know it's a good if throwing both of them out would be too much at once because we've already talked about Aiden as well is he but, also named Josh no but he he does have a color to his name so we, we could do that Bruce Brown is it Bruce Brown <laughs> no now I feel like we're uh, okay we're off the, the rails we're off the rails talk about Josh we're Green. completely off the rails what's the name of that Tarantino movie with the Mr. White Mr. Pink oh my that god I Reservoir, so Dogs, Reservoir Dogs man come on you don't Reservoir Dogs okay well I was thinking about that in light of this uh because the, the character that I was going to talk about the player I was going to talk about has one of those names but anyway uh Josh Green is is someone that has just been playing lights out lately he he had his first like not great game yesterday actually um but he's just had he's just been on a heater basically for a while now um is someone that you know is not going to come in really to the conversation of most improved player i think that that is very very spoken for at the top levels of that award with marketing i think shay will get votes for that but just looking at how he's played i mean this is a guy that utah was leaving wide the hell open um last season and and rightfully so i mean you know a guy that what was 21 years old during that series and just couldn't hit anything um but what i liked about him is that he kept shooting um he had some real athleticism on a roster that had some but also relied too heavily on guys to be able to knock down those shots because of how heliocentric luca was so now you take him and you basically make him a 
damn near, uh, what, a 40-some percent shooter, 43%. Who shoots, who actually um, shoots, which is a big part of it. Who shoots, shoots on volume. So over his his last handful of games, uh, career best 29 points on 17 shots, 14 points on seven shots, 17 points on 12 shots, 23 points on 12 shots. Uh, his effective field goal rate is 11 percentage points higher than what it was last year. It, he's a 22 year old. He's a 22 year old that can do more than just that. He had a huge rebound that even uh, offensive rebound that gave the Mavs a chance to even win the game yesterday or tie the game yesterday, um, even in, in light of him not shooting it well. So he's someone that's just kind of everywhere. He's someone that, like you said, he might have his hands a little bit too full defensively without Finney Smith there. Um, but he's a good all around player that could be like one of the best role players in this league. And maybe more than that, when you consider now that he now gets to slot down a peg because Kyrie is there. And so I just think the Kyrie trade trades of that nature kind of have the, they shift the whole paradigm for other guys because all of a sudden how good do their looks become in light of what we're talking about. And so he's someone that I become very curious about and someone that if his game stays at this level relative to, you know, just looking back at last season and how um, he was left wide open last season, last postseason. Um, this is someone that could be a game changer for Dallas. And I think that they'll really need to be a game changer at times if they're going to be a, an actual contender in, in the Western Conference playoffs. He's also a great connector, a great screener, passer, handoff guy, which is the skill that rang out even when all the other skills were were kind of hiding because he, he wouldn't shoot. And so he couldn't be on the floor to really show off his defense and all that. It's the why re- you took a chance on him, really. It's the reason I always liked him and the 10 things columns. I have the receipts. I was on Josh Green Peninsula uh, when he wasn't even playing very much because I just like guys who who see and feel the game at a high level. Um, and that screening connecting thing looms large because he's going to be the hiding place for the weak defender in a lot of these lineups against Dallas now that Kyrie's there. And so if he's the hiding place for the weak, undersized defender for Jordan Poole, for, you know, Luke Kennard, whoever, he's going to be the screener for Luca and Kyrie, hoping to generate switches or get him in rotation. And he's going to have to make plays in space. And I think you will. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seats Rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, ooh, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code LOW. That's code LOW, L-O-W-E, my last name, the name of this podcast. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. Now I need to know who the other guy with the color as his last name is that's on your list because it's not Bruce you Brown, who Derek White, Jalen Brown, Derek White, Derek, Derek White. White, okay, Derek White. So, uh, like I said, I'm giving away too many of these because now we've talked about three of my guys' situations, what have you. But I mean, another guy that's just been playing lights out 
in this case, you know, just an expanded role because of the injury to Marcus Smart. Um, he's playing the best basketball of his life, really, uh, on a team that obviously has huge ambitions. He's getting more playmaking opportunities, but he's now developed into such a good shooter recently that I feel like it's opened up even more for him, where obviously this is a team that at it, you know, at its peak at when it's whole has multiple guys that can kind of do whatever they want from one play to the next, whether it's Tatum or Brown. Um, when you look at white though, him shooting the ball this well and him being in position that he's in um, now is you so often now I feel like I watch him and he's already on the move before he catches the ball. And so, you know, if you're, um, if you're just kind of dead on your feet or if you're just standing straight up, he zooms past you. And then at that point, you've got the whole defense and scramble mode and recovery mode, and he's throwing a lob. By the way, what um, you're saying about catching the ball with a running start is not an accident. Number one, he's an incredibly high IQ player. I love Derek White. Yes. Everything I just said about Josh Green applies doubly for Derek White. Number right. two, they teach that in San Antonio. Manu Ginobili was the king of that being on the move when he catches ball. It's not an accident. It's a little basket. And Quinn Snyder brought it to Utah. A lot of the Utah guys do it. It's not an accident. It's a skill that you learn. And and why they wanted him in Boston, why why it's no mistake that Ime Udoka would have, you know, like certainly probably been one of the loudest ones about wanting him in, in, in Boston because of a skill set like that. But it's just you have so much more ability to use it, a, a, a skill like that and really like an IQ like that when your shooting is is top notch and when you're starting to put down your your threes and your jumpers because at that point a defender it's very easy for a defender to be flat-footed because he doesn't want for you to get off an open shot so he has to protect against that but he also can't like doesn't want to see to drive but that might be the safer thing to uh to let go of really so he's just been fantastic lately another guy that you know can play really, really good defense, does play really good defense. And a guy that I, I always like, I don't like guys getting hurt, but the one thing I like when other people get a chance to step up while someone is hurt is the idea that that is improvement and skill and, and stuff that you can kind of take with you um, for a big playoff run. Derek White was obviously really impactful last postseason too, but uh, even for him, it looks like he's taken a step forward. The guy's been averaging more than 20 a game uh five boards five assists over his last nine games 50 percent overall from the field 47 percent from three uh like i if you would ask me at any point in the season would Derek white be averaging more than 20 a game for nine ten games I, I probably would have said no this is a team that has so many guys but again when some of them are hurt who steps up and, and he's obviously done that in a really big way you know what else he'll do you bring some soft ass into the lane and he will swat it back in your face he is a <laughs> rim protector as a guard, here's the other thing. Small guy, too. Derek White. Derek White's a very good all-around player. Yes. The only question is, and this is why he's on your list, he's shooting 39% from three. It's a career high. We saw it in the playoffs last year. When they get into the second round of the playoffs, if he misses five in a row, what's mm. going to happen to him? Is he going to stop shooting? Is he going to get is he going to is his confidence going to get shaken? Because you have to keep shooting. And his minutes dwindled when he hit slumps. And then when he would start shooting again, I think it was game six in Miami, almost won Boston that game by himself shooting threes. It, it, it They just need him to shoot. And the question is always going to be just sort of his default mode when he gets into a slump is to become the Josh Green, you know, Ben Simmons, just get off the ball handoff guy. And by the way, Ben Simmons, 
Ooh, I, I've reached the do point. Do we have to talk yeah, about I just want to wow. say one thing. I just want to say one thing. I've now reached the point where um, the only thing I feel now is empathy because this is what's happening with Ben Simmons is just sad. He played 13 minutes last night. I, I think he had two points and they benched him after a couple of turnovers late in the game, which is that that seems to happen every game. He's almost Brooklyn's third string center now behind Claxton and Dayron Sharp sometimes. Let me repeat that. Ben Simmons is sometimes the Brooklyn Nets of Brooklyn, their third string center. I just, it sucks. It sucks as a basketball story. The guy's an all NBA level player and he's not even looking at the basket at any point in the game other than if he can catch a lob. It's just very, very sad. And I hope, I hope he rediscovers the confidence that made him who he was because this is, it's not even, it's beyond criticism and analysis. And, and if you're taking, you know, what is a schadenfreude, if you're taking schadenfreude or whatever in him, then I, it's even beyond that. And, and meanwhile, also on my list, maybe we can talk about them later. Who would have ever have thought that in February, 2023, Markel Fultz would be a more productive player than Ben Simmons of the two Sixers, number one draft picks who forgot how to shoot or never knew in Ben Looking Simmons. Looking really good though. Looking it's really a highlight good. play every night for him. Every night. Yeah. The Magic are 17 and 14 in their last 31 games with a top 10 defense in that span. They're, they're starting five with Gary Harris in place of Bull Bull. Kind of makes sense. They look like a regular basketball team now, and it's it's been a very good lineup for them. I think it's like plus five per 100 possessions. Isaac has come back and... I mean, look, I, I don't know what he'll be on offense. Some games he's a little too thirsty to take jump shots. Other games he's kind of uninvolved. That dude is an absolute menace defensively right away again, guarding I, in last night's game in Chicago. He guarded Levine, DeRozan, and Vucevic, all of them as the primary defender. Something is clicking into place there with Fultz as a viable starting point guard, Bancaro and Wagner, Franz Wagner as a really good young forward combo. And it's beginning to translate into wins. Their defense has been a little lucky in terms of shot making by the other team in the last you know 30 games, but they're a solid defensive team. They do a lot of the fundamentals well. They just they ha they play good players. Now that Cole Anthony's back, he missed last night's game. Um, they play him and Suggs together in the backcourt. Suggs is wildly up and down, but he's almost never overtaxed as a ball as a ball handler. I don't I don't love what I've seen from him. I don't really know what he is on a good team because he's not a point guard and he doesn't shoot well enough to play off the ball. He's kind of a chaos engine, but they're on my list because it, it, it might be too late for them. They are 24 and 34. There are four games in the loss column back of 10th. Their win over Chicago last night did kind of feel symbolic given the trade that they made uh, a year and a half or two years ago. Um, the <laughs> yeah. calendar during the pandemic, which is still going on, by the Wendell way, uh, all got screwed up. I don't remember when exactly that was. It was 2021. Um, felt symbolic in that sense. And my God, the Bulls. Yeah. Okay, give me, can do you, you have any can, magic thoughts before before I I just... No, I mean, just some. Uh, there was so much to like about them even last year, I felt like... Um, that for a good, good, good chunk of the season, they had the most efficient lineup in the league and it was their starting five. Um, and that was with Suggs really, really, really struggling. Um, and so there were a lot of things to take away from that where I think so often just record wise and just, I, I think you say Orlando magic over the last X number of years. 
And the average NBA fan, I think, just kind of tunes out uh, because they're like, oh, they, they're trash. They don't, you know, what are they doing there? It's just a bunch of guys that you're hoping, you know, develop into something at some point. But they have enough interesting parts and they've had enough young players that have shown flashes that have shown more than flashes, quite frankly, they've just been good for a while. Franz Wagner has been good the entire time he's been in the league. Don Caro has, has been the rookie of the year the whole season, in my opinion. It hasn't really been all that close. Um, I did, by the way, Ben Caro, some people look at the stats and they're like, well, he's not shooting that officially. He's shooting 30% from three no. and blah, blah. If you watch the games, you know so this, far and this, away their guy. this guy is a dude. He's he's going to be yeah. really, really good. And he's, he's going to be a, a multi-time all-star, period. Right. Yeah. And, and, and you take that and you, you look at Fultz defensively, they've been solid for a while. They've been good now for, like you said, for really, yeah, they're a good a defense. A half, the magic months. are just a straight up. They're good just defense. legitimately a good defense. Um, so I, I mean, they, they're a team I'm excited about in the same way that you could look at Oklahoma city early this year. I would say even parts of last year and just watch them and say, They've got some skills here that really aren't normal. For Oklahoma City, I would say it's it's the fact they have so much ball handling on that team. And they have, like, the, the make of that team. They also have a lot of size, and that's without even having Chet Holmgren out there. What, you know, regardless of what, pick they'll act, what picks they'll get this year, I don't even know what all picks they have coming this year, but that they could really hypercharge this thing pretty quickly is kind of the way it feels. And there's elements of Orlando's spot now that make me feel the exact same way about them. So um, where they could be in a playoff race a year from now, if they, you know, if they develop enough, if they truly want to be. Um, and so that's kind of how I feel about them. Um, They're going to have cap space this summer. We'll see how they use it. They did continue their tradition of trading Ballyhood draft picks for literally nothing. I mean, they trade it. It kind of slid under the radar that they picked Mobamba sixth and traded. I think sixth or fifth, I don't whatever it was, and traded him sixth and traded him for Pat Beverly, who they then immediately waived. So they traded Mobamba for nothing, just like they traded Maurice Harkless and Shabazz Napier for nothing. That didn't end up mattering all that much, but just just a thing. Um, yeah, I, I and I think they're going to be under real pressure to win next year because this whole cute rebuilding thing and our previous incarnation was this cute 42 win, win one game in the playoffs and bow out thing. Like it's, it's time for them to do some winning the bulls. Chris, if I told you that we got to the 57 game mark of the season and the bulls had the seventh best defense in the NBA, if I told you that in October, hey, man, just, like, just so you know, the basketball gods came to me in a premonition and said the Bulls are going to have a top seven defense, top eight defense in the NBA, 57 games in. You would have probably said, wow, they're going to be like 30 and 30 and 20, even better, 35 and whatever the math is. They're 26 and 31 with the seventh best defense in the league because their offense is completely unwatchable. They're 24th in offense. How you have a team with DeMar DeRozan, Zach Levine, and Nikola Vucevic and have the the 24th, the seventh worst offense in the NBA, you're built around offense and your offense stinks because no one will shoot a three. Even Vuce will just pit, pitter-pat the ball around half the time. No one ever gets an offensive rebound. It's like it's freaking illegal for the Bulls to get an offensive rebound. I half want them to just start Derrick Jones 
and use him as a screener just to get somebody going toward the basket other than Zach Levine on a wild drive that might end in a make, but also might end in a turnover. Their playmaking is they're they're a well below average passing team. DeMar DeRozan has improved his playmaking a great deal. He's not a lead playmaker. He's just he's just not, and nor is Levine. Dasumnu is overtaxed as a point guard. Yes, they they've missed Caruso lately. He never shoots ever. His usage rate is like he's guard PJ Tucker. And and yeah, all of these issues, everything I just said, let's see, they need a guy who can pass and shoot lots of threes and generate lots of threes for other people. Lonzo is all that. Lonzo Ball is all that. I just don't really, it doesn't pass the smell test to me that a zero-time All-Star with very little chance of ever being an All-Star is the difference between this unwatchable lottery team that's fighting and scrapping to pass the freaking Wizards in the standings and the a 48 win feel good everything's on the right path kind of team. I just don't think he's a 25 win per season difference maker. This offense is so random and languid and bereft of purpose that you can almost understand why they might talk themselves into Russell Westbrook. You almost can understand it cuz it's just like can we get someone mm. out there with some freaking juice? So they, I just don't I I can't believe how bad they are on offense. They're not even on my list. <laughs> they weren't on my list either. I was not expecting to talk about them, but I will tell you that um, I just moved out of Chicago. That's where I'm they from. They chased obviously. you out of Chicago. Basically. Um, but my best friends have been blowing. I've got two of them that, that just blow up my phone and were kind of just like so ashamed that the Bulls wouldn't do anything uh, at the trade deadline. If anybody needed to kind of get out of the middle one way or the other, I, I kind of felt like, uh, remember they had that week where all of us, I feel like in the media either had a podcast or wrote a story or had a column about them, about just like how bad this team looked. And and granted, some of you guys were earlier. I think you, didn't you podcast with bond temps one week about them? Um, you know, and I know Michael Pina, my, my former coworker at SI wrote a column about them that I remember at the time thinking this is almost, it feels a little bit early to write this, but he's like, yo, the bulls just need to like start over basically. And it was like, maybe a month into the season. I was like, well, that feels a little early to me. There was a stretch where they had lost, what was it, four or five in a row, whatever it was. And there was all sorts of pressure in Chicago and the national media of like, they just need to tear it down at this point. And then they won like three games in a row. And it so it, it allows you just enough breathing room to say like, we're okay. Um, and they, you know, they are not okay. They were not okay at the time. Uh, they were barely squeaking out those games just to give them enough faith that, see, when we really put our heads together, really work hard, we can do this. If it's taking you that much with the collection of talent that you have on this team, there's enough talent on this team to be much, much better than they are. If you had told me that they were the seventh best defense this season, I would have said, oh, Lonzo came back? That would have been my response to that. So That's the fact right. that their whole defense last him. year was Lonzo and Caruso causing havoc. And one guy's been out for a bunch of games now. One guy's been out the whole year. So what's the excuse? And, and I think that's what you're basically saying. So last night, I think, what were they? Three for 21 from three. It was, it was I watched the game. Three it for was, 21. Th three for 21. Five for 21 the game before that. Five for 26 the game the, before by the way, that. The, Seven for 35. Six for 22. These are their last five games. They have made what, – what I'm trying to do quick math here. 13, uh, it doesn't 20. Matter. They've made 26 threes over their last five games. You get teams that hit that many in one game. 
maybe a game in the first two minutes of the next game. It's it, it's unbelievable considering that they actually have guys that De, DeRozan is basically the only guy that won't shoot threes. Everybody else, Levine is a good three point shooter. Yeah, Levine will take the Levine will take three he shouldn't take and pass up on two he should take. Absolutely, it's not to say that he doesn't pass up on some, but he also has hit like thirteen in a game before. Oh, he's like a monster scorer. There's no question it's about a that. We- it's the weirdest team. Like I-, I thought for part of the year, the Heat had that title of just like the weirdest team in the league, like a team that runs zone, you know, half the game because they can only defend in zone, and that they, you know, that they were so close in so many games, the injuries, but also. The, the fact that you've got so many guys on your payroll that like you can't play because they're not good enough defensively. The heat were the weirdest team for a while for me. It is hands down the bulls at this point. And it, it makes the fact that they have now gone what and three since the trade deadline makes not doing anything at the trade deadline even worse because you had guys that would have had value elsewhere, whether it was Levine and having serious conversations about him, whether it was Caruso, you had any number of guys that other teams would have been interested in and just to not move any of them. And I was telling my two best friends and and like our group chat, our group text, I don't think they're going to do anything. Like you were already hearing murmurs about the fact that teams were frustrated that the Bulls were asking for like a ransom for Alex Caruso. I was like, why? I understand he's a good player. I understand that there's value for him. But what are you going to do with them? Like you're already the seventh best defense. I mean, I what know, are you I know for sure more than what you're doing. The Warriors really wanted Alex Caruso, and I don't think there was anything it's close, stupid, to to a deal there. And but we should probably talk about how the Warriors traded for Gary Payton Jr. and then he's injured and now have accused the Blazers wow. of withholding medical information when they could have just done a two team trade with Detroit and gotten Sadiq Bay and cut everybody out of the deal. And I said last week, I think I'd rather have. Sadiq Bay than Gary Payton the second on the Warriors. I you know how I said you you get out of the rubble a little bit and your brain clears up. I still think that because I think the size and spot up shooting is more what they need yeah. than another guard. On the other hand, I get the reasoning that our Achilles heel all year has been on ball defense. Guys are just roasting us on the ball. Sadiq Bay is not going to help with that. Gary Payton Jr. will. And this is the thing. I thought about this with Ananobi, too. And the Warriors were in, let's say, semi-serious engagement off and on with the Raptors about Ananobi, who, again, is like the supernova version of the defense and shooting and all that that I mentioned on the wing, which is really what they need. Another bigger Wiggins is it just it's it takes time to learn their style. And Bay has been on these awful Detroit teams where his role has sometimes been like, yeah. you can be Carmelo Anthony tonight, or you, but to, tomorrow you need to be spot-up shooting guy. Game. You need to be Olympic mellow. You can be prime mellow one night and Olympic mellow the next night. And, <laughs> right. and OG Ananobi is a very mechanical offensive player. I just wonder how plopping a guy like that into the Warriors machine with 20 games left and be like, oh, okay, so here's, we all just like fly around and the ball moves and like Draymond yells at you and you have to cut like that. That's not easy to do. Yeah. And like Gary Payton doesn't have that learning curve, but that's a, that's a whole big mess. It's a whole big mess. I can't remember a story like this. Like it would be one thing if, if Payton hadn't been playing. And then the question was, you hid this from us. The fact that he can play on it, if it's because of having drugs to help you get through it, or if it's just that he's okay enough to play through it, 
I, I just can't remember seeing an accusation. It's just strange. And and then stranger in some ways, because it's like, well, what are you going to do? Not do the deal and bring James Wiseman back at that point. Like it, it was just odd all the way around. And it was, I feel like the other reporters that were in Sacramento for those Kyrie games and, and everything else were, we were all just kind of like, can you remember a story like this? Cause we all were so thrown off by it. Um, And I, I'm also to your earlier point about Sadiq Bay. I can't remember if it was Woj or Shams or whoever had the initial report that he was going to, uh, that it just initially it was like, he's going to, the Warriors have made a trade for Sadiq Bay was the first thing. And then you realize it was being broadened out to more than that. And he was being rerouted. My first thought was like, Oh, that's a really interesting trade for golden state. Like, like you said, maybe not a perfect fit, but you could see the logic if you were adding him to your roster, if you're golden state, it's, a young player, a guy that would make sense to bet on that is having a down season shooting the ball, a guy that has the frame you'd think to be a better defender than what he's been. Um, it, it wasn't like a weird trade. I thought that trade made a, a bit of sense for them. And so the idea of, like you said, if it was just a one-to-one as opposed to being the bigger four-team deal that now, you know, was thrown off by everything. It was, it was just very, very odd. Yeah, I was told emphatically over the weekend, there is no one winding this deal. Like, it's just too big. It's too complicated and too awkward to bring these guys back into their teams and be like, hey, hey, (laughs) you, hey, hey, big guy, sit down over here. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. It's also the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your personalized training in mind. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay? full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes, hashtag vibes, will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. With a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. That's onepeloton.com. I went. Can we go? Can I make a pick now? Am I list? Please. Have you made any yet at this point? Or well, is it I've, just sort of in, I've sort of just injected my Orlando magic love and other things into it. Um, <laughs> so that wasn't one of your picks. No, either. Orlando was on it. Orlando's on my list. Oh, okay. My list okay, is like ahead. 17 people long. Like Russ is on my list. We hit that. Sadiq Bay is on my list. We hit that. Anthony Davis is okay. on my list because the Lakers just keep losing. And it's like you're yeah. kind of running out of time, dude. You're four games out of the freaking ninth seat now. Um, anyway. Uh, I I think this is a natural point to talk about the Blazers, who are on my list for sure, are 28 and 29, 27th on defense, 27th. The three teams below them are actively trying to lose games. Fifth on offense, and at the trade deadline, just leave aside the mess of Peyton. You wanted to know, like, okay, are they going to be buyers, sellers? If they're trying to win now around Dame, how aggressive are they going to be? Well, out went Josh Hart, a starter who has all of a sudden he's a, the, the, world the fact that fire. Josh Hart and Matisse Thybul hit eight combined threes last night has to be one of the most insane <laughs> fans of either team that just had them have to be like, where the hell was this? Anyway, out went Josh Absolutely. Hart, out went Gary Payton Jr. 
Gary Payton II, excuse me. Um, prized free agency acquisition. We need more athleticism and defense around Dame. Goodbye, you're gone. In came Thibel, unrestricted free agent. Cam Reddish, unrestricted free agent. Nine million second round picks that God knows I'm not going to keep track of. And a lottery protected first round pick from the Knicks and owned by the Knicks, not one of their extra poo-poo picks that converts to a whole pile of second rounders if they don't get it this year. <clears throat> in the aggregate, in the aggregate, that looks to me like we we're sellers, but we kind of don't want you to think we're sellers because we brought back some intriguing young mm. young stuff here. But we we don't really we're not really going that aggressively this season. Um, and it just raises the possibility of like Jeremy Grant's a free agent. They're either going to bring him back or lose him for nothing. If they bring him back, they have no realistic avenue to cap space in the foreseeable future. They have another small guard combination that can't defend. They have a giant question mark long-term at the center position, even though Nurkic is signed for long-term. His play has kind of been eh this year. Um, and it, it's just like, are they just kind of hoping that Simons and Sharp like develop way ahead of schedule in time for Dame to not be 37 years old, which is maybe not unreasonable. Are they hoping to catch lightning in a bottle with another draft pick and a, like under the radar free agency acquisition? And we keep Grant and Sharp and Simons and then another free agent leaves in the Western Conference. And this and all of a sudden we're kind of like, hey, we're back in the conference semifinals mix again. What like what are we doing here? Uh, yeah, I'll be honest. Like I, I thought, I, I honestly thought the trade deadline day that the Gary Payton trade, him being involved in a trade, not just a trade, but one to go back to the Warriors was like one of the most eye-opening things because I'm like, okay, I understand that he was hurt for, I mean, might still be hurt now given what we're talking about, but I understand he was hurt. I understand that maybe for what Portland was giving him that, you know, maybe you felt like you didn't quite get enough there. But if your team is struggling to this extent on defense, uh, that you rebuilt your whole team seemingly around the idea of having athleticism and having speed and having defense on the wings and big wings and, and stuff like that, and some youth injected into that, what are you doing getting rid of him? Not just getting rid of him, but him going back to his old team that just won a title. Uh, so that was, it, it was a little bit confusing um, and let's be honest here. Like this is a team that has always wanted to make sure that they avoid the tax. Uh, it's, 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 you know, it's a, still a small market team relative to the teams that we think of as big market teams. Um, I, I, I need to get out of this rhythm because it seems like he is very destined to want to stay there. Um, but my first thought, whenever I look at kind of the sort of deadline that the Blazers had in light of where they stand right now is like, what does this mean for Dane? It just doesn't, there doesn't seem to be a clear path for how they get past this other than what you said, which is just to kind of hope that these guys develop really, really quickly. And, and Simons had already taken a leap. And so we, Simons we all has know taken a leap is. on offense defensively. It just doesn't work. It's not going to that's, work. That's what I'm saying is that there's already been a leap to where, He's he's been pretty much what you could ask for about what you could ask for offensively in this time frame. I don't know that there's a leap coming defensively. If if there is, 
great. You, you, you want that as soon as possible, but I just don't know that the, the make of this team and that's with Grant having played so well to where they want to pay the guy now, basically. He's been really uh, you good. Know that he's been really good. He's been great. So that, that's why I'm saying I don't know what to make of it because if he's been great and, you know, the other stuff has just kind of been the other stuff. And, and sure, you could point to injuries here and there, but I just don't, given what we're saying about Nurkic too, I just don't know where it's supposed to come from with this team. And um, they've shuffled the deck plenty now over the last year, obviously after McCollum and everything with that. But I just, you know, I thought that maybe at least at the beginning of the season, you could have said for a while that they've remade this team and this is the way this team needs to look with more wings and, and more length and more athleticism and a little bit more youth in spots. They did that. And granted, the season's not over, but it hasn't worked well enough, and it certainly hasn't worked defensively well enough to to work around two guards that really aren't known for their defense, not just not known for their defense, but aren't good. And we'll, and we'll see if Thibel or Reddish, I mean, they're they're worth taking a shot on, but what does it amount to? I don't it, think that's the answer. But that's, it, I mean, like, that's, it's not the answer. They're unrestricted be free agents. They could be gone right. tomorrow, or you could resign them and be like, oh, did we just pay that much for that guy? Um Look, if if the stated goal is building a winning a, a contender, not just a winning team, a contender around Damian Lillard, who by the way, 31 points a game. Isn't that crazy? He's shooting 58% on twos. His career average on twos is 49%. He sh- wow. he is having he's getting to the line 9 times a game. That's a career high. He is having a supernova prime Damian Lillard season, and the team is not good. If your stated goal is building around Dame, who is who deserves that and is 32 years old, the record says you're not doing a good enough job of it. You're not, you have not built a contender around Damian Lillard. You can tell me that, well, we're on the journey there. We're collecting assets. Okay, like wait, what assets do you mm-hmm. have? You have one pick out the door to Chicago, one pick in the door from New York. None of either of them are pretty sexy. You have a bunch of second round picks. Whoop de doo. That helps. It's not bad to have second round picks. It's not going to change your life. You have Grant, who's still in his prime. You got these young guys, these, these you know, Simons is twenty two or twenty twenty three, I think. Um, I like Nasir Little quite a bit as a role player. Sharp is just learning the basics of the NBA game. Fantasy fun to watch. Uh, I love as an aside, <laughs> but like I, I said it, I said it in the lead up to the trade deadline. If you are serious about building a contender now, next season, two seasons from now, around Damian Lillard, you have to investigate what you could get for Simons or Sharp. You have to. Otherwise, you're just banking on hope and luck, which is sometimes hope and luck hit. And those guys, you have, they know them better than we do. They know their likelihood of developing in time for Lillard. I didn't hear one sniff of them trying to figure out the market for those guys. And could we get veteran X, veteran Y, veteran Z? Maybe there were no veterans that they even like or that fit. Damian Lillard deserves more than like hope, though. And and I think that's if you're going to keep him and if he wants to stay there, which there's nothing wrong with him wanting to stay there. No, no, I don't yeah, think let, we can let's, want. Let's be clear about that. Damian Lillard can do whatever the hell he wants. He's earned that. Exactly. He's earned that and then some. You want to question his 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 guts, his crunch time, whatever. Like you can't do it. He's proven it a hundred times over. Exactly. And that's the thing is like we can't want that for him more than he wants it. If he wants to stay there and be a one franchise guy, 
the guy is still killing it. I mean, not still killing it. He's he's maybe playing better than he this ever has. This might be the best season of his career right now. Right. Right. So that in light of that, if if you make a mutual decision, if he wants to be there and you want him there, you have to find you can't just say we hope that these guys step it up even more than they have, which they've already taken leaps at points. Like you said, it, it's with Simons has very much been on one side of the ball, but that's now you know what he is. And that should give you even more confidence to at least soft pedal the idea of seeing what you can what, what you would get. Because it's pretty clear that that fit, at least right now, is not going to do it. And um, and I like you said with Dybul with with Reddish, Reddish now is on team number three. Um, there's nothing wrong with that, but I I think it says something that with teams that are desperately looking for guys that they can develop talent around because of their cap situations. Well, not the Knicks necessarily, but just they're it's a team full of youthful guys, and the fact that he's the odd man out should tell you something. Uh, so I, I don't see it being those guys. If Thibault all of a sudden becomes a guy that's going to make four threes a night, maybe he is there. But I, I, I think if you're being honest with yourself, is this more likely to change the trajectory and, and give Dame more of, of a runway to kind of, you know, a contender. If you're being honest with yourself, you're not saying, yes, those guys are the answer. Maybe they're part of it, but I don't, you know, I, you cannot just rely on hope here at this point in Dame's career. And like I I said, I like sharp. I like little. I like Jabari Walker. I like Trendon Watford. I might be the captain. Uh, I might be the, the national media champion of Trendon Watford. <laughs> all those guys will get better. They're all young. They'll all develop. You know, you can try to make these smart trades on the fringes that kind of cascade, cascade, cascade into like a bigger move. It's just hard to hit singles over and over and over again and have it somehow lead to like a, a collective home run in the aggregate. It's hard to do that. And I just don't – my favorite Portland stat, by the way, that kind of epitomizes their team. If you go to Cleaning the Glass, which is a site we both love, it ranks it ranks where you, where you should rank in effective field goal percentage based on where you take your shots from. So threes, rim, mid-range. If you shot an average percentage of this, who would have the best effective field goal percentage? On offense, Portland ranks number one. They have the best expected – effective field goal percentage in the league because they take a ton of threes and shots at the rim. On defense, they rank last. They allow the worst shot profile in the hard. entire league. That's hard to do. On defense. That is hard to and do. And have the best one on offense. Okay, I'm going to give you two more quick ones. Ready? From my list. All right. Because it's near and dear to your heart and it and it dovetails from Portland, just just, just a quick one. Something I'm a, a guy that I'm watching. R.J. Barrett. When is it when is okay. it time to start thinking about okay so what exactly is this guy that we just paid all this money to and he's I think we all agree like RJ Barrett's good we like RJ Barrett he defends well he's tough he can defend across multiple positions he's shooting 33% from deep after now he's been better since a very cold start but 33% is 33% it's in line with his career nobody guards him out there He's shooting, I think, 47% on twos. He's sneaky. All the stuff about his, his three-point shooting, he's never been a great two-point shooter from anywhere. And it's clear now, when the Knicks traded for Josh Hart, I thought, well, at the very least, they'll give him Deuce McBride's minutes. Is that enough to trade a first-round pick for? It's clear now that they traded for Josh Hart as a, as a message to Grimes, to, to Barrett, to maybe Toppin, to whoever else. Like, dude, if you're not playing well... We got another guy who can come in and close games for us. And I'm just yeah. looking at RJ Barrett. I'm like, I don't know what his job is with Randall and Brunson dominating the ball. 
I, mm-hmm. He's a good secondary ball handler. He does all that stuff pretty well. And maybe he can beat up a mismatch now and then. But like, well, at some point, he's got to start making more shots. And this Josh Hart trade is not is not aimed at him necessarily, but has already begun to infect his minutes, which already Grimes was chipping away at in crunch time. Zach, he might have had for him. He had a he had one of those stat lines at halftime yesterday where it was just zeros across the board, no rebounds, no points, no assists. Uh, it, it, he That was one of the worst games I've seen him play as a Nick. Now, I, I, I know everything takes on a different tenor when you get the contract he just got. Um, but it, it becomes one of those things at a certain point. I was of the opinion when they were trying to trade for Mitchell that – as we all learned at some point, they included him in offers for Mitchell. But my question for the Knicks, if they had gotten Mitchell was like, what happens to RJ Barrett? Because at that point, if you don't get rid of Randall, which they, I don't think they were going to be able to at the time, you were going to have Mitchell Brunson, Randall and Barrett as a fourth option, which you generally don't pay that kind of money for a guy that you're going to make a fourth option at this point in a team's life cycle. So I was kind of concerned about like what does his role look like on a team like that? They didn't get Mitchell. So at this point, he's more of a third option, but you don't want him to be a third option with the kind of efficiency he's always had. Uh, you were hoping that getting a, a legitimate point guard would help him. Uh, you were hoping that you'd get more consistency out of him. And really this season has been consistent in the way that he's always been consistent and that he always starts seasons extremely slowly. His October and November's are always horrible. And then he has kind of like a supernova two weeks and then he cools back down a little bit and kind of levels out. Um, but his game last night, including one possession, there were the last two games. Now there there's been a possession where he had a one-on-one matchup on the left wing and Obi Toppin kind of crept under the rim and was pointing up because he had a wide-open alley-oop that R.J. Barrett just didn't see, and Obi Toppin looked like he was ready to throw a tantrum because he's never been that wide open before. Then there was a possession last night where that was That Barrett, was two games ago, right? I saw that game, and I think yes. you could even read Obi Toppin's lips on the replay saying, throw the lob, man. Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, it was just everybody could see it, but R.J., um, which when you press a little bit, you wonder if guys are just, or when you press and you're a third or a fourth option that some guys just are going to kind of going to feel like I just need to get a shot here. I need to find my shot here. So that happened two games ago, but the game last night, RJ had maybe the worst possession I've ever seen him have where he just dribbled around in a circle, tried to go back at the same guy a second time, lost the ball by that point, had nothing left because there was only two or three seconds left on the shot clock kind of took a fade away from, you know, the top of the key, 20 feet out, not quite a three and like back rimmed it, you know, after it hit the back, it was just a horrible shot. And, and again, this came at a point where he basically had not scored. And so it makes you wonder again, is it just kind of like, well, it's my turn now I've got to shoot he doesn't defend quite well enough all the time to, to justify being on the floor. He's not shooting well enough to justify being out there. When you've got somebody like Hart that plays hard constantly, that is a good defender, that rebounds, that is great in transition, like, and you've got Grimes, like you said. Like, there, there's well, the other so guy. It's interesting. The other Go guy ahead. who's bitten into his minutes, and frankly, for two months now, has just been a better player than Barrett is Emmanuel Quickly. 
And we've seen Tibbs be pre-heart trade, close games with Brunson, quickly Grimes over Barrett. It's just yep. like, and it's crazy. You look at it. He's averaging 20 a game. It just does not. It is the quietest 20 points in the NBA. Yep. Like it's just, it, you just don't feel like, oh my God, a big score. And I know tons of guys average 20 now. 20 is still a lot. It just doesn't feel like, oh my God, RJ Barrett's out there. I'm really worried about him. Right. And, and so it's interesting that you bring him up. I'll use this as an opportunity to get into to one of my last guys. Um, I thought about putting Barrett out there. Um, the guy that I chose to take, and maybe it was like kind of too much of a cutesy pick, was Mitchell Robinson. Uh, just because now the team, Hart looks like he's going to be a fit. Even if night to night he's not getting 27, which he's not going to, he fits that team really well. I thought it was a home run trade for the Knicks, by the way. Um, Mitchell Robinson, like they, they still have not been good defensively without Mitchell Robinson. They're now 13 games in, I think, without having him. They're seven and six in those games, but they're they're essentially the fifth worst defense in the league. Whereas before he got hurt, they were the 11th best defense in the league. So they they're giving up 120 points uh, per 100 possessions without him. Um, so, and, you know, it gets back to what you were saying earlier about one of the teams you were talking about where it's like the only teams beneath them, essentially, with the exception of maybe Utah, are teams that aren't really trying to win. Uh, so I just think he's huge here um, from the standpoint of this is a team that if Hart is the fit that he looks like he is going to be for this team, if he allows you to be able to pull guys from the rotation with, you know, with recourse that you could actually pull Barrett, that you can pull Grimes, that you could pull these different guys that if they're having an off night, Hart can soak up their minutes. If Hart is having an off night, you can use one of those other guys to replace him and actually be able to, to do it meaningfully. Um, the team has the makings of like a, a pretty good team. Brunson has been fantastic oh for God. them. He's averaging 33 a game or whatever it is since not making the all-star team. He was already good before that, by the way. Um, you know, just a really tough, um, tough year, I think, with Hal Burton in the year he was having to not make it. And, and by the way, Harden didn't make it either. Um, but I mean, between Brunson being a legitimate all-star, whether he's on the team or not, Randall playing the way he has, and the fact that you've got good defenders and you've got good role players on this team, that's without a guy that can put you back into the idea of being a top 10 defense who is efficient when he actually does get shots. Uh, one of the most efficient players in the league, they just become really intriguing to me if they get him back and he's like a top-level Mitchell Robinson. I, I, I'm i very intrigued to see what the Knicks are capable of. I think they can win around, certainly. If they, I'd be curious to see who they get matched up against, certainly, but um, it's a team that I, I would not really want to play if, if even half these guys are playing at their top level. If it's Brunson, Randall, and Hart. If it's Brunson, Randall, and Mitchell Robinson. If it's Brunson, Hart, and Robinson – that's a team that has some offense and some defense, and it's a team that I would not really look forward to playing. Yeah, the matchups are going to be fascinating in the East. We we know who the top four are going to be. Cleveland has very quietly won seven games in a row. And a lot They're of the, a team I've got on my list too, by the way, to talk about. A lot of the statistical models have them flop flip-flopping with Philly into the third seed because of how easy their schedule is and how hard Philly's schedule is, which obviously changes the complexion of two of the first-round series. The Knicks are currently seventh. 32 and 27. The Heat are sixth, 32 and 26. So a game ahead of the Knicks in the loss column. The Hawks are two games back at 29 and 29, just hawking around. And then the wild card is Brooklyn. 
who's 33 and 24 and has has a pretty big cushion to stay in the top six, has now lost two straight and sort of that one, the first feel good win, the sheen of like, all the stars are gone. Like, this is so fun. The Nets are fun again. (laughs) Has kind of worn off and like, oh, maybe maybe they're just, maybe they're going to fall out of the top six, even though they have this cushion. That's going to be a really. The same way Utah did, by the way. It's like, it's, it's a, more defense-oriented version of Utah, quite frankly, of, of what they were to start the season where they had all this offense, they were fun, they were in first place, and it's like it it, it typically runs out after a while. And um, I'm curious to see what happens, but I don't expect them to stay there. Do you? I, I, I'd have to look at their schedule. The cushion they have is meaningful, but it's dwindling already, um, and they have yeah. a lot of rotation questions. They played 12 guys in the first quarter the other night. It's hard It's hard to do that. Can we can we go to my last yeah. one? Please, go ahead. Stop wasting your time. Um, you're not wasting my last one. And honestly, I saved the best for last. I think this is one of the most interesting situations in the NBA. The team is the Minnesota Timberwolves. Okay. And the, which one did you pick? And the player is Carl Anthony towns. Well, okay. Wow. The wolves are now 30 and 29 after winning last night in Dallas. They are, I believe, a game or two above 500. 31 and 29, excuse me. I think they're two or three games above 500 without Towns. They have one of the pluses of their unbelievably wackadoo trade for Gobert is that when Towns got hurt, they had an identity just ready-made to pivot into. Okay, spread, pick, and roll. Gobert plays right. the four. Um, last night, they started to... Gobert plays the five. The last night they started Torian Prince um, next to McDaniel's Edwards and Conley instead, and brought slow mo off the bench. And slow mo has been unbelievable all year. Like that works. That's a team that makes sense. Um, in the wake of Towns's injury, Anthony Edwards has become an all star. The team has is now his team, and there's no question about it anymore. If there was even before, um, they have an identity that makes sense. On the other hand. They're only whatever two games over 500 or something without talent. So it's not like they're winning at some gangbusters level. They clearly need right. more talent and fit issues aside. Towns is a superstar talent offensively, defensively. There's a lot to be desired there and they have a lot of questions to answer. We know the double center look was going to come with fit issues galore. Um, they, they, they also, in the Gobert trade and then in subsequent moves have made their team around Ant older. And boy, oh boy, I don't remember a trade that's a bigger vote of no confidence in any player than them dumping D'Angelo Russell and being like, we'll just take this aging caretaker point guard because he knows he's good. He knows how to get Gobert involved and everyone's going to like him and that's going to be great. Please go away to some other team. Are and, and, and like one of Towns' closest friends too. That's like one of the reasons they got him. And that was after he improved meaningfully after a, a incredibly slow start to the season too. But but they're now their young core is now Anthony Edwards, Jaden McDaniel's, and and like what exactly? And it could have been Anthony Edwards, Jaden McDaniel's, Walker Kessler, and every draft pick and every pick swap and all that yeah. stuff. And it's not Walker Kessler and alone so would have been it nice. Just, it, but but they've for all the joking about the trade and how crazy it was and how much we dislike it, Gobert has settled in and had a nice season for them. He's He hasn't still found his peak defensive level, but he's been good. And their defense has been excellent with Gobert on the floor, like the league best levels when Gobert has been on the floor. 
they have a bunch of good players who fit together pretty well, and they they are 15 and eight in their last 23 games. That's a good record. Like they've been a good, they've settled into being a good team without Towns. And again, that's not saying they're better without Towns. They don't need Towns. They need more talent, more shooting, more scoring, more all of it. You just wonder about the fit. And when he comes back. This is a very, very big moment for him because I think they have glimpsed this other reality and and probably are thinking to themselves, well, he does become trade eligible in the summer. I can think of one way yeah. to get all our draft picks back. And I know other teams are certainly like, all right, let's go down the next disgruntled superstar list or available superstar list. Who could it be? Well, that's one candidate. I just think that they, A, need to make the playoffs. They're eighth right now. They need to make the playoffs. They cannot have this unprotected pick hanging out there in the lottery, and God forbid it becomes Wembanyama. Um, and, and I think whenever he comes back, it's a big moment for him, and it's a big moment for the team, and they don't have a lot of time to figure out how to make it work. No, it's it's a good pick. I mean, I you know thinking more conservatively, it put Conley, not, not on my list, but he was kind of like a – um, an honorable mention for guys that I was looking at. I also had like Chris Middleton and and whether he can stay healthy and kind of keep up this streak he's had um, on there. Conley is more, I think, like you were saying, just like the mature guy in the room who can serve as a connector for these guys. You've got a lot of guys that need shots at this point. Um, he's not going to yell at so, Gobert for looking goofy on a post up and missing a shot. <laughs> exactly. And so it's like it's important for those reasons, but it's also with the thought that you're going to get Towns back. And once you have that, you're going to need someone that can, similar to what I was saying earlier about Chris Paul, kind of directing traffic and and keeping these guys out of each other's way, making sure that Edwards now at the place that he's kind of rightfully taken um, and that franchise is really a lead ball handler and letting him continue to be who he is, but also make sure that Towns is is happy and also make sure that Gobert gets some love from time to time too. Like I think it actually becomes very important um, in light of the fact that their defense is not going to stay top level. Like we just kind of probably know that from what we saw in the early parts of the season. Um, we never expected it to be top level with the two bigs on the floor, but offensively and that, you know, like, and as, as you talk about, exploring or thinking or like you know getting a thought bubble for the idea of towns trades uh it probably sounds crazy to some people but the thought that the 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 fact that we're thinking about this through the prism of they're not going to be as good once he comes back either on offense or defense creates a problem it just does and it and it does like the idea that well, I think they might be worried I about think they might be better on offense um, they they might be, but the, but we know that that won't be the case on defense. And when we're talking about them playing at league best levels defensively, and you've got a guy that is growing into his growing into his own as a superstar, you would love to have just two superstars out there. But they don't win at the level of having even one superstar, in my opinion. When when Towns is out there, uh, and I, you I can guess, ask why that is. I guess I shouldn't but, say I shouldn't counter your argument that their offense will be better because their numbers when they have. They're, I'm going to call them their big four of Cat, Gobert, mm -hmm. Edwards, and McDaniels. They're a bad offensive team and a crazy good defensive team so far. So as much as he's so talented on offense, they hadn't figured out, they hadn't worked out the kinks uh, even on that end where Towns' talent should carry the day and his shooting should carry the day. Their offense wasn't very good. Their defense was. And their defense, when it's been bad, it's just been when Gobert's off the floor. 
Right. And so that, that that's kind of what I'm getting at is that offensively. I always had that question with them is whenever I've seen a team with two bigs that have to be on the floor, how do you use them? There are ways you would use Towns if he was out there by himself. There are ways you would use Gobert if he was out there by himself. When you run simple screen and rolls, who's who's getting that action? And where does the other person stand? Are they in the dunker spot? Are they hanging out at the three-point line? Are, do you just have Towns standing there? Some sequences, despite how impactful a player he is, how great a shooter he is, is it a waste of someone's um, possession and that's without even factoring in Anthony Edwards um, which now becomes a little easier because now you can have him run more screen and rolls because Russell's not there but uh, before you just had guys that were essentially obsolete for whole possessions whole sequences whole quarters and it just doesn't work uh, so it it maybe becomes simplified now I think it's actually a great pick for just most intriguing kind of storylines for individual players Um for my last one, I, I don't think it was quite as sexy as that's one I've talked about a little bit before. Uh, I've been intrigued all year by Cleveland and the fact that not only for a second year in a row at this point in the year, they still have the best net rating in the East. They were like this for much of last year, too. Um, so when you were talking about the idea that they will potentially slot ahead of certain teams in the East, that that has always boded well for them. They've got the best defense in the league. And Isaac Okoro, who we'd been wondering, like, who is going to fit that small forward spot, that last starting spot after the clear four, the four clear all-stars that they had, who's going to slide into that last spot. Okoro, who started the year, the first chunk of the year shooting like 24, 25% from three has been like 40 something in the, in the mid low forties for the better part of the last month and a half now, since the new year turn. Um, it seems to answer that question because he'd been playing better. It shouldn't be a surprise that Cleveland didn't go and make a trade. They also don't have a ton of assets at this point because of everything they gave up in the Mitchell deal. Um, but you know, the question it's going to be interesting because I think that they've been solid enough. They're good enough on defense to where if you want to make an argument that they could make a run come postseason, I think that's fair. It's unusual to see a team just jump into the playoffs for the first time and then win multiple series, though. Uh, so what happens with them? The fact that they didn't make a deal, the fact that they've got guys that can play the three. I don't think that they're really the prototype of what we would think about that team needing. And that spot, you're going to need guys that can try to make an honest effort to guard Giannis and Tatum and guys like that. Um, I'm wondering how much they decide to fall back on someone like Mobley if Okoro isn't hitting shots. If they decide that Dean Wade is not the guy they want to use there, if Karis LeVert is not capable for the job, um, who do they use? I, I, you know, again, I wasn't expecting them to make a deal. I think they were one of two teams that did not, them and the Bulls. But, um, you know, on some level, maybe it's a vote of confidence. Maybe they knocked around a little bit, but again, they don't have the assets. So um, I'm, I'm very intrigued to see what happens there. I was just as interested to see whether Sacramento would do something at the trade deadline to address the, the backup big position. Um, we talk about them, you know, the way we were talking about uh, Portland earlier being like basically one of the best offenses, one of the very worst defenses. Sacramento has the same problem. Uh, Sacramento has been unbelievable offensively. Uh, I was out there this past weekend. I'm working on something longer about them and got a chance to sit down with Monty McNair and just asked him, uh, you know, it was the day after the deadline. Like, I imagine you guys had to ask around on backup bigs and he he wouldn't quite get into it but he's like we're happy with what we have you know we, we want to show confidence in what we have it's like okay their starting lineup is great I, I made that point earlier about um 
Orlando last year, and even with you know terrible team, the idea that they still had the best starting five uh, statistically for a good chunk of the year. Uh, Sacramento is basically in that boat. They've kind of taken on that mantle that Phoenix had for a couple of years with the healthiest group in the league, the the starting five that has played the most minutes in the league. Um, even Sabonis, who I feel like had been um, criticized very heavily for not being good enough on defense, not being enough of a rim protector. His rim protection numbers this year have been fine. Uh, I think he's holding uh, opponents something like five percentage points under their averages at the rim. Um, it, it's been when basically when the starters aren't together um, and when he's off the floor that they have problems. And they, Mike Brown has kind of cycled through uh, backup big after backup big, trying to find something, trying to find some formula. And there really hasn't been one that's worked for them. So because they're a third place team, I think is a fair question to ask. Again, I don't know how much anyone expects of them beyond a first round, beyond making the playoffs, still trying to solidify that spot. But, you know, they are a third place team in a competitive West. Um, so it was interesting to not see them make any move there. Yeah, I don't quite trust their depth, even though Lyles has been pretty consistent for them. It he just has. feels like if Monk doesn't make shots, I don't know what they're getting off the bench. But their, their starting lineup has been great. And the version of that lineup with Monk in place of Herder has also been good. Um, on Cleveland, interestingly, a lot of the guys that you mentioned who were like, maybe this guy can be our three. They're now playing backup four a lot because they've benched Kevin Love, who was their backup four. So Osman and Wade are spotting minutes. Are spotting minutes there? They did pick up Danny Green. You know, TBD's coming off an ACL injury. It's a, it's a very nice coming home story um, for him. And I think that wraps up my. I did have Russ on the list. Um, I do think one of the more hilarious subplots of the last part of the season is the Clippers players going on an all-out lobbying campaign so weird. for them to sign Russ. <laughs> not understanding. so weird. Not maybe understanding uh, that they might be sabotaging their own team. Um, and yeah. I, and I don't their think fans do not I don't think it. their front office really wants anything to do with it either. Um, so yeah. that's kind of fun. Um, and A guy that played in the same arena, by the way. You know, the, like same city, same arena and everything. And it's like, did you not just see what just happened? With the team that shares your building, but uh, Dylan Brooks was on. Dylan on. Brooks was on my list. Apologies to the Grizzlies. Dylan Brooks was on my list too. Who I forgot to mention in my sort of Western Conference contenders that the Suns need to be concerned of thing. Obviously, the Grizzlies are number two in the West. We all know that Grizzlies fans. We all know. I love the Grizzlies. All right, Chris Heron, you got to go. Um, catch your newsletter every Tuesday. It comes out. Sign up for it. You'll be a smarter NBA person. Read all his stuff at Sports Illustrated. Subscribe to Sports Illustrated because you only get four or five articles for free. Then you got to start paying up for it. Chris Herring, uh, your work is second to none. Thank you for your time. I really appreciate you, Zach. It's always good to be on with you.